0: Well, if you're a guest this morning, we're in the midst of a preaching series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. We've been walking through this. And our guest this morning will lead us in the third petition called Thy Will Be Done. Our guest is Dr. Daniel Berge. He's been the New Testament professor at the Lutheran Brethren Seminary in Fergus Falls for five years. He got his PhD at Concordia Theological Seminary in St. Louis, and he... I think will be an absolute blessing for you. He lives in Fergus Falls. His wife, Megan, I watched her grow up. She was in the ministry that I was a part of. She's an absolute gem. And and he has eight kids, 18 through three. And he's really normal. <laughs> now, if you notice something about him, Bergy, and if you have some connections here to our body, he is the youngest but the tallest of the Berge brothers, including his other brother, is Adam Bergie, who is one of our pastors. So Dr. Berge is going to be our presenter. He's going to bring us God's word. But first, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that we can gather in this house. And as we have sung, we pray that Christ through us, Christ through us is the hope of glory. And we thank you that you are going to advance your will wherever the kingdom of God is preached. We may not see it, but you're going to do it. And it's a mystery. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we could gather. And we thank you that your name is being lifted up and praised in grass huts, in underground churches, in jail cells around the world. We thank you for the freedoms that we have here in our country. We thank you that we can be together. And now anoint your servant, give us ears to hear in Christ's name. Amen. Let's welcome Dr. Berge, shall we?
1: Thanks for the introduction, thank you. Well, I'm happy to be here. You know, um, as you're sharing that anecdote, I don't know if it's an anecdote, the, the, the idea that I'm actually normal That means a lot to me. Thanks, Kirk. (laughs) You know, I I remember being in high school, and uh, I had a teacher, and and the the teacher, he ended up having his fifth kid while we were in high school. And me and all my friends are like, that guy's crazy. What's wrong with him? Like, that is so weird. And then here I am surpassing him. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it happens. Well, greeting, Bethesda. (laughs) Greeting Bethesda Eau Claire from the church in Fergus Falls. Uh, You guys are all remembered fondly in Fergus Falls, and I'm really excited to be here. Um, Excited to be preaching on the Lord's Prayer. Such an awesome prayer, right? It's so good that Jesus actually answered that question. And how should we pray Jesus? And he gave us how to pray. That's great. And I get to teach on Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there are some basic things I could get into with this uh, presentation, uh, a way of summarizing this, but as, as maybe, I can't even remember if you said it before, but I know it's written there. I, I'm Dr. Berge, so I got to make it more complicated. <laughs> you can't just say the simple, easy layup things that are, might be in your catechism. Well, we know God's will is good. We know God, God's will should be done. We pray that God's will is done. Jesus says he hears our prayers, but w- what do we do in the world how do we think? How do we live when we look at the world and we realize God's goodwill is not being done right now, right? What, what do we do? How do we think when we look at the world and see a mess? And I'm pretty sure I don't have to explain too much about the world looking like a mess, right? This last year has been a challenging year. You know, we had the pandemic, uh, we've got the race riots and the race tensions. We, we've, we've got the, the pullout of Afghanistan and, and people, innocent people, being bombed, even admitted by our administration. Right? We, we've been faced with all kinds of hard questions, and then that murder hornets thing happened. I don't know what that was all about. But on top of all these public things, we also know, like, the, the, these last couple years, this year, A lot of us have still faced private things that didn't make it into the news that make us question, what's going on? Is God really good? Would a good God really allow this to happen to me? Right, there's things that can drive us to ask some really hard questions about what God's will is and and if he's really in charge. How do we think about these things? Let's let Jesus tell us. So we're going to open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 13, and we're going to see Jesus faced with the very kind of questions that I'm raising here right now. We, if we want to describe it the way it might be described today, we actually see Jesus respond to a race-based murder by an unjust government. Oh, <laughs> did that actually happen? Didn't remember that part of the Bible. On top of that, we see Jesus respond to the random death of 18 people for no apparent reason. We might have all kinds of reactions to this. We might think of, oh, here's a good Facebook post to share in response to this. Big deal. We get something better today. We get Jesus responding to these kind of situations, and we get to hear how our Lord thinks about this and teaches us to think about it. So with this kind of a a framework in mind, I'll invite you to turn to Luke chapter 13, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. there were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Now, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you've got to know the gospel of Luke pretty good. This is a fantastic gospel, right? He's got some texts in here that are, that are shocking. Uh, we might not remember this text ever happened that Jesus said these things, was confronted with this situation, unless you really know Luke's gospel well. This only occurs in Luke's gospel. He's got these difficult, difficult questions that he puts out in some of his parables in texts like this. We've got some really concrete examples here in our text of hard questions and how Jesus deals with them. Right? Uh, How can bad things happen to good people is kind of behind some of this. How can a loving God allow bad things to happen? What is God's will anyway? Maybe these questions are just abstract out there and they're not a big deal to you, but maybe you actually have felt the need of having these questions answered. Maybe you've been there when a child dies. Right? Maybe you've seen your life fall apart. Maybe you've seen a loved one go through stuff they should never have to go through. And, and then these questions, tragedies, drive us to these kind of questions, and we say, God, where are you in all of this? These questions are huge in our faith, right? So good news. We get to listen today as Jesus addresses these kind of questions. So what happens in our text? First, we get some people coming talking about a tragedy, right? Unjust government. We get them reporting how Pilate mixed the blood of some Galileans with their sacrifices. Okay, what does that mean? This, this isn't a famous episode in history, but this Roman ruler Pontius Pilate apparently slaughtered some Galilean Jews while they were worshiping God. Probably through his soldiers, you know. They were probably offering sacrifices and they were cut down and their blood mixed with their own sacrifices. You know, talk about an unjust government. You want to talk about racist oppression? Right? Some of us don't like the way things look politically in the world right now. We're, we're even worried that our rulers might, might be making bad decisions. It might affect our lives. We might be oppressed. But this isn't just like an accidental police shooting or something like that. This is outright the, the police, the government, killing people of a minority race on purpose while they were worshiping God. Imagine you you get a text while you're in church today, some announcement about the church down the street that the government showed up and slaughtered them while they were worshiping God. (laughs) I'd be scared. Would it make you question, God, are you in control? They were worshiping you like is, is there not a, like, I would get it if they were at the bar, maybe, and you killed them there, but you killed them at church? How come you didn't protect them? How does Jesus answer a question like this, right? Look at what he does. Look at what he doesn't do. He doesn't offer any social political commentary. He doesn't offer any words of comfort He doesn't give an abstract explanation of God's hidden will in the world. He starts with a warning. Hey, don't think this happened to them because they were any worse people than any of you. This just happened, and if you don't repent, your fate is destruction. (laughs) What? Jesus! No solidarity? No comfort? A warning? Are you serious? What is this all about? Well, maybe the next thing he says sounds better. No, he doesn't just leave it there. He goes on. He gives them another example of a bad fate. He asks, what about the other 18 in Jerusalem that the Tower of Siloam fell on? Do you think the tower fell on them because they're any worse than you? It's like people are like, this bad thing happened over here. And Jesus is like, oh, pay attention. Something else bad happened over here too. Here's a wound. Let's pour some salt in it. And he says, don't think that you are above any of this. He goes on to bring it right back home. You are not above any of this. In fact, unless you repent, your fate is destruction. It's insensitive. (laughs) Where's the comfort? Can you imagine if you was a pastor here at Bethesda or the church down the road today? What would you expect out of Jesus as a pastor, right? You got to make some kind of statement on social media, Jesus, in response to this situation, right? Give us some guidance, right? He needs to share his views on these terrible situations. How many injustices are going on in the world, right? People are getting bombed, death during arrest, death from violence. We got riots, we got protests. What's going on? And Jesus' comment is unless you repent, you're going to die. So somebody died young. So someone died unjustly. Does it really change anything? Is it any less tragic than if they died when they were old? They died of natural causes? Served as a pastor for a while, long enough to know that there's a record book at most every church that records baptisms, weddings, and funerals. I put a few names down in the funeral column. Right, Most newspapers you pick up, it's going to have an obituary section, right? Actually, think every newspaper. And there's names in it, day in and day out. Until, unless the Lord comes soon, every single one of our names is going to end up in a church record book someday or an obituary somewhere. Young and old, we're... Jesus is telling us we're all under the curse of death, right? No matter how many freak accidents you might be saved from. No matter how many times you might be healed from a bad disease, our name is still going to be recorded in a record book marking our death. Right? There's a good chance there's going to be a tombstone somewhere with our name on it. Sobering to think about. You might be thinking, isn't that a kind of message for the traditional service? The contemporary is supposed to be more upbeat. I don't know, I got Jesus here. He's, he's telling me what to say, <laughs> right? It's right there in the text. I, I, I hope that no matter what service you come to, I hope no matter when you come to the scriptures, I hope you expect to be confronted. I, I hope you expect them to have the power to change the way you see the world, to challenge some of the assumptions you've been living under, and I think that's what this text does right here. At least it does it for me, right? I admit I don't like to think about this stuff. It's a little sad. I, 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 I'm kind of an optimist. But here's this guy, Jesus, making it clear for us, placing this demand on us. Unless you repent, you're gonna perish forever. We don't want to hear it. It's the stone-cold truth. It's true. It's real. But that's not all, right? He also goes on and gives us a parable in here right after these words. And this parable helps us figure out what's really going on, right? So there's this fig tree a guy plants in a vineyard. Um, and I kind of got into to, uh Vine dressing. I don't know. Is that the way to say it? I, I like fruit, and I like it more when I don't have to pay for it. So I started planting some grapevines when I lived in Oregon for a while. Moved back to Minnesota, and I, I tried one. My wife said, you could put one there. Good. Uh, so I plant this grapevine that's supposed to be hardy enough for Minnesota winters. First year, I expect roots to grow. Not worried about fruit. Second year, I'm trying to establish a trunk. A little bit of a slow grower. Had to prune it back at the end of the year. Third year's supposed to be when I get fruit. I want to have some grapes, see what this vine tastes like. It didn't really do anything like that. Finally got my trunk established. This was the fourth year, and I'm thinking, if this grapevine isn't going to do anything, well, my wife gave me one spot in the front yard, this is the prime spot, sunny spot for a grapevine. If this one doesn't work, I'm going to get rid of it, go down to the nursery, pick up another grapevine, and replace it, right? Now, good news for that grapevine, it produced fruit this year. I had some pretty good grapes. I liked them. They actually made my lips sting a little bit. I don't know what that's all about, but I like them. We're going to try it again next year. And that's what this parable's about, right? The, the the tree is fruitless in this vineyard. And God is looking at it and saying, Well, if not, if it's not producing fruit, it's not gonna stick around. And we know where the trees, right? This is a parable. We can interpret it. Jesus is the vine dresser, right? God is looking in his vineyard for people like us in his creation to bear fruit in our lives. And if we don't bear fruit. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. This isn't just about dying quickly, right? This is eternal death. This is the ultimate vineyard where God comes to judge the living and the dead, and we're in it, and he has set a day where he is coming again. His kingdom will be all in all. He's going to judge the living and the dead. If we don't do what he wants to do, if we aren't what he wills us to be, he has every right to cut us down, throw us into the fire. So repent. But destruction is not his desire. Right? Th- this parable says more than that. Look at his heart in this parable. Right? Look, look at what he really wants. God's will is that we bear fruit and that we live. He wants us to grow. He wants us to live. It's not the Lord's will that we face destruction. All this bad stuff about perishing is not good. It's the natural consequence of all kinds of garbage in the world and our sin. It happens, what, it's what will happen if we eternally reject him, but it's not what he wants. In our parable, his patience is elevated, right? The patience, the gardener pleading to dig around the tree and fertilize it. The Lord has created you. He wants to bless you with life to the fullest. He wants to free us from this this scary death that is imminent, and he wants to give us eternal life. The denial of death, the battle against death, is what Jesus was always all about. If you've worked through the Gospel of Luke, you know he has saturated this Gospel with Jesus' mission to go to the cross. It's, It's laced throughout this Gospel, the most specific thing occurs in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem, where he's going to die. Right? That's chapter 9 out of 24. So all the next sections, they're, they're read by us as we're confronted by God's Word. They're read through this lens of Jesus is going to the cross to die. Right? He's come to do this epic battle against death. And he did it in the most surprising way. He did it by Dying. So just slow down for a second as we think about our hard questions and think about how that purpose of Jesus can change the way he thinks about how he confronts people, right? Imagine how this changes even our hard questions. We ask, God, how come bad things happen to good people? And he answers by coming in the flesh, being perfect, good in a way we've never seen good, and having the worst thing ever happen to him. We might ask God, how come my loved one dies? And he sends his firstborn beloved son to the cross. We ask God, where are you in suffering? And he says, here I am on the cross suffering for you. Right? No wonder he can call people to look at ultimate reality and warn them about life and death, because his whole life was guided under this conflict between life and death. He had one main thing to accomplish in his life, and it was to go to Jerusalem and die. then spend a few days in a tomb. If that was your purpose in life, imagine what conversations you would have. It's no surprise (laughs) he speaks to us in this way, right? Even more than that, imagine how your perspective would change if you knew after three days you're going to come back to life. Because that's the story of our Jesus, right? He died for our sins. He died your death, but he rose again to indestructible life. He is never dying again. And both the death and the rebirth is what he gives to you. He calls you to think about your death, to repent, in order to give you life. Eternal life is what he gives to you. That's why Paul writes in Romans 6.3, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. You hear that? New life. Resurrection. This is awesome. This is why he used that little word, unless, in our text today. Unless you repent. So hold on to that little word, unless. Right? Repent. Hold on to Christ's resurrection as the good news and the hope for us who are under the shadow of death. I can't guarantee anything, but I'm pretty sure this week, if you open up a news site, you'll probably find more bad news. I'm just guessing. Pretty sure Jesus won't come before all of us are dead. Maybe he will. That'd be great. I pray for that. But there's a good chance our names are all going to be in an obituary somewhere. But believers in Jesus are united with his death and his resurrection. So even if our bodies lay in a ground, we've got hope, right? Even if it looks like death has hold on us, we hold on to something better. We hold on to the hope of the resurrection of the body. We've got life. This is what Jesus has come to direct us to, even in this text. And this means for us that we care, right? We care for a dying world. We care for our neighbors, we're under the shadow of death, who need to have this message of hope in life. and we all go from here celebrating and living whatever life God has given us now, caring for others, caring for His good creation in this vineyard that we live in. Let me pray. My Father, we thank you so much for confronting us, even in hard ways but confronting us so that we might have hope. Hope in the life that you have given to us freely in Jesus Christ. Pray for everyone here that uh, this has real impact on us, impact on the way we view ourselves in this world. Pray that you use us with the life you've given us to bear fruit in your world. Thankful and grateful for the hope you have, the full forgiveness in Jesus Christ knowing that we look forward to his eternal kingdom. May he come again soon. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.